Berman. I'm a certified plant-based nutritionist and personal trainer. The website is mainlyplants.com. You can find me across all social platforms at mainlyplants. You can shoot me an email, ryan at mainlyplants.com. I'm trying to get the levels adjusted here. Hopefully you can hear me all right. Um, But uh, so uh, this week on the podcast, I had a really special guest on. um, Just fascinating. His name is Jeff Chilton. He's the president of Namex. um, And Namex is uh, organic mushroom extracts. This guy has been studying and growing and just surrounded by mushrooms, essentially, um, since like the 60s and 70s. So he knows everything that there is possible to know about mushrooms and anything to do with mushrooms. And we're talking about psychedelic mushrooms, um, uh, obviously uh, mushroom supplements, edible mushrooms. Um, There was so much to talk about and such little time, unfortunately. Um, you know, because the podcast is usually only about 30 minutes. I think we went to about 50 minutes and barely scratched the surface. I am going to try my best to have him back on, uh, hopefully in the near future, because there is so much stuff that I want to get to. Um, I really tried to jump around and hit a lot of different areas that I, I think that you guys would be curious to hear about. Um, but but be sure to give it a, a listen till the end, because there is, I mean, listen, I never knew. Uh, a lot of the stuff that he that he brought forth and, and talks about, and it really is a fascinating uh, topic. It is a fascinating area of research because you know there's so much to them that I never knew. So without further ado, uh, the interview with Jeff Chilton, president of Namex uh, Mushroom Extracts, organic mushroom extracts. I hope you enjoy. Uh, shoot me an email uh, after the podcast and let me know what you think. Uh, just as a quick side note, because it was recorded on Skype, uh, it might come out uh, where my voice is in one speaker and his voice is in another. Uh, Skype kind of does that a little bit. Also, uh, Skype doesn't allow me to use my, my uh, ear monitors to hear myself when I'm speaking. So I was unaware of you could hear the, the pen clicking when I was taking notes and stuff like that. So just overlook that. Pay attention to the interview. Here you go. Better if, if you're good. Hey, I'm I'm good. Yeah, let's let's do it. Okay, perfect. So, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself to all the listeners and let everybody know what it is exactly that you do. Okay. Uh, hi, my name is Jeff Chilton. I studied uh, ethnomycology at the University of Washington back in the the '60s, and that was uh, my major was anthrop- anthropology, and I also studied mycology, which is the study of mushrooms. And I was really interested in the use of mushrooms uh, amongst indigenous cultures worldwide uh, and historically. And that ultimately led me after university into the profession of commercial mushroom growing. So I uh, started, I went to work on a commercial mushroom farm in 1973. I worked there for 10 years. We were growing uh, agaricus standard button mushroom plus shiitake, oyster, and uh, enokitake mushrooms. In 1989, I started up my own business uh, selling medicinal mushrooms. And that was, uh, at that time, I uh, had to try and introduce these to the nutritional supplement market, which was mostly selling green plants, herbs, uh, but nobody was selling any mushrooms at all. And 
So I had a, a lot of work to do to educate people about that. In 1997, I went uh, and I traveled all throughout China in the 90s. In 1997, I went to China with OCIA, which is a uh, organic certification organization in the United States. And we had the very first organic certification seminar for mushrooms in China, 1997. And that's where we grow and process all of our mushroom extracts in China, which is not only the birthplace of mushroom cultivation, but they, they provide 85% of the world's mushrooms and they can all do it at a, a cost that is prohibitive in the United States. Uh, we can grow mushrooms in the United States for food, but we can't grow them for supplements because supplements are dry powders. Um, the, right now we are, um, selling, we're, we're primarily a raw material supplier. So we sell mushroom powders to companies, uh, uh supplement companies throughout the U S and, uh, internationally, um, mushrooms recently have been blowing up and everybody in the world is talking about mushrooms and wants them <laughs> and, and, and calling it the net latest, uh, superfood. I knew that back in 1973. What can How? I say? How did you know? I mean, why, you know, back in the 70s, even in the 60s, why mushrooms? How did you know that these were going to be such, you know, the superfood that a lot of them are? Well, you know what? First of all, let me just say I am familiar with mushrooms that we used back then for uh, enlightening purposes. <laughs> okay. Magic mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, and that's funny because even now... <laughs> that they're sort of coming back, you know, they've been illegal for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was part of my study because it, interestingly enough, Ryan, in the late 50s or in the 50s, a New York banker and a French mycologist went to Mexico and they, they spent five summers in Mexico from 53 to 58. And they rediscovered the use of psychoactive mushrooms in pretty much in the world back in the mountains of Mexico. And this was like one of the uh, discoveries that led to mushroom use later on in the 60s and led to many, many people from the United States, young people like myself at the time, flooding mm -hmm. into Mexico back in the mountains to, to search for these mushrooms. Huh, so were these psilocybin mushrooms? Yes, yes, absolutely, okay. yeah. And, and ultimately what was interesting about it was that, that later we discovered in the 70s that psilocybin mushrooms actually grew in uh, the United States as well. Right. So, so um, uh, and, and also we learned that you could in fact cultivate them also. So, you know, in the, in the 70s people were out in the, in the pastures, they were, you know, out there uh, head down looking right. for little mushrooms and you'd see them in the pastures and things like that. And, but by the, by the eighties and in 1983, I co-authored a book called the mushroom cultivator, which is a practical guide to growing mushrooms at home. Uh -huh. And that book kind of revolutionized home mushroom growing a 400 page book. And, and all of a sudden people could cultivate mushrooms at home, which led to a decrease in people hunting Psilocybes out in the pastures and so on and a lot of cultivation started at that point in time. So so uh, um, But anyway that that was kind of uh, What was going on back then in terms of the rediscovery of those and then and then you know what I I Did you know, when I was at the mushroom farm from 73 to 83 
I just dove into the literature on mushroom growing and the history of mushroom growing. And I looked at the nutritional qualities of mushrooms. And the interesting part about it was that mushrooms were considered at that point by classical nutritionists as being kind of a garnish, um, mm -hmm. something for flavor. And the reason, and then they kind of called it a non-food. And the reason was that mushrooms don't have a lot of calories. It's a low calorie food. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the nutritional profile, great protein profile with uh, most of the essential amino acids, high in really high quality carbohydrates, low in fat. Um, it's just a, a, and, and a good uh, amount of uh, B vitamins, uh, riboflavin, niacin, so it's it's a really excellent food and and as good as any vegetable out there and maybe a little better because of the protein content. So so it's and and people have finally sort of clued into that. Nutritionists have finally clued into that and and realized that yeah, this is a very good food. But it took a lot of educating to to get people uh, in general to understand that. And now of course we've got. If you go into the right market, you maybe can get six to eight different uh, edible mushrooms right there in the market. In China or Asia, they've got at least 12 mushrooms in the market at all times. In fact, uh, last year when I was in my trip to China, I actually was served a big plate. One of the plates in our dinners was a big plate of cordyceps. Hmm. So is there is there a benefit one way or the other to eating, you know, whole mushrooms over supplemental mushrooms or is, is there a benefit to one or the other or does it matter at all if i get it in powder form or an extract form or well you know, you know a couple things yeah come to mind one of which is that uh, i highly recommend people put uh, mushrooms into their diet i just think that's the first place to start start by eating mushrooms i, I highly recommend shiitake shiitake is uh, not only a delicious edible but it also has really solid medicinal properties. Um, one of the things about mushrooms is that they don't, they're not readily digestible, but what that actually means is that they're very high in fiber mm -hmm. and that feeds the microbiome. And, and when you come to the differences between medicinal and edible, uh, the main and primary medicinal compound in mushrooms is called a beta-glucan. And the beta-glucan makes up uh, as much as 50% of the cell wall of a mushroom. So all mushrooms will have these beta-glucans. Now, the medicinal ones have a very specific architecture for that beta-glucan because the, the structure of the beta-glucan will change from mushroom to mushroom, which is why some mushrooms are highly medicinal and others are just basically uh, a good edible. Mm -hmm. So it's that beta-glucan architecture as well as a few specific compounds that some mushrooms produce and others don't. For example, reishi will produce triterpenoids, which are fantastic compounds. They're a lipid-type compound. That's what gives reishi its bitterness. And, and the triterpenes are excellent for the liver, they really help the liver um, do its job and um, purify the blood, whereas the beta-glucan is what is uh, 
if that's what gives mushrooms their immunological activity. Mm -hmm. So, so every medicinal mushroom will have these beta glucans. Some will have more or less, um, but will have that as the basic compound in them that makes them medicinal. Okay, so if, I just want to make sure I'm understanding. So you're saying of the ones that we should incorporate into our diet that are readily available, shiitake um, is a great choice because they do have a lot of those beta-glucans? Yes, that's right. That's and what, right. what do those specifically do for the body? Well, what happens with the beta-glucan is that we have specific receptor sites in our small intestine for fungal beta-glucans, interestingly enough. Yeah, that is interesting. And, and what happens is when the beta-glucans hit those receptor sites, that will stimulate the production of macrophages, um, natural killer cells. So it will stimulate immune cell production. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what um, primarily we're looking for with the medicinal mushrooms, and that's their primary activity is to boost immunity and you know, and the interesting thing about that is that is that if we if our immune system is working at a little bit higher level, that affects so many different parts of our body and and has uh, effects that can be antibacterial, anti uh, um, fungal. It's it's an effect that uh, is there, touching a lot of different aspects of of our health. Okay, so I, I want to rewind a bit because we went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. Um, I heard somewhere, and please call bullshit on this uh, if it's not accurate. I don't know one way or the other. I figured I'd ask you since you're the expert. Um, yep. I heard that mushrooms are closer in structure to an animal than a plant. Is there any well, validity to that? Yeah, well, you know, here's here's the what's going on is that, is that fungi have their own kingdom. So the kingdom is between plants and... Um, uh, animals, so they're kind of in the beginning, and and with a with a fungus, what happens is it it will um, it, when it respires, it takes in oxygen and gives out carbon dioxide, right. which is something that we as humans do, whereas plants, it's just the opposite. Right. And, and and we also um, have uh, um, different aspects, like for example a plant as its storage carbohydrate will be starch. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of the starches come from that we consume are from plants. But, but we actually have a storage carbohydrate called glycogen. So, so uh, that's the same storage carbohydrate that a fungus will have. Interesting. So we share these attributes with fungi. Now, um, some people say we share a lot of DNA together with fungi as well, and I'm not as familiar as with those claims, but we do have these certain act attributes which are very similar to fungi. Hmm. So, going back to, to you know where you started with your journey as well, um, you know you said you first started growing mushrooms, um, and, and your book, uh, what was it, the mushroom cultivator? cultivator. Yeah. Um, it, it, are there any, you know, I would say top do's and don'ts that you would warn people if they are looking to grow their own mushrooms? Well, you know what, I guess what I would say is that, is that, um, you know, when, when you grow mushrooms, uh, there's different methods to use. It's, 
on a small scale. It can be fairly simple. You can buy, let's just say, grow kits where you grow some mushrooms that way, or you can set up a small, um, uh, like for example, you can you can um, sterilize straw. Mm -hmm. You buy some you buy some spawn, and spawn is what we call seed for growing mushrooms, and spawn is actually live mycelium. And let me let me just start here by talking a little bit about the the life cycle of this organism here. Mm -hmm. uh, Mushrooms don't have seeds; they have spores. Right. Spore will uh, is out there. I mean, we're breathing in spores of all sorts of fungi all the time. The spores, uh, one mushroom actually, uh, one big mushroom can produce up to a pound of spores. Hmm. I mean, we're talking billions of spores. Those spores get dropped from the mushrooms. They fly out into the environment. They they will uh, get onto whether it be wood or, or dirt or whatever it is, and they will germinate if conditions are right, and that one spore will produce a very fine filament. And if we have multitude of spores, they'll produce these filaments. They will then fuse together, and they will form a network, and that network of these, uh, what are produced by these, these filaments from the spores, that network will be called mycelium. Now, mycelium is the vegetative body. You can think of it almost like a root system. Mm -hmm. So that's the vegetative body. It is, it's out there in nature. It's decomposing organic matter. That's what it feeds on. And then when conditions are right, like up here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, when uh, the weather changes from summer to fall, so the uh, temperature's dropping, we get a lot of moisture. At that point, this vegetative body called mycelium mm -hmm. will produce a mushroom and and the, the mycelium can be out there and it could be out there it could be perennial it could be there year after year as long as there's enough organic matter for it to continue to feed on and uh, <clears throat> so it will produce the mushroom the mushroom will then uh, go through its different stages from a button up to a fully mature mushroom and then it will release spores, and we've essentially completed this life cycle of this organism. Mm -hmm. So um, that that's the we want to look at that as okay. There's there's multiple plant parts in in my business, the herbal business. If you want to go out and buy a supplement, you'll go okay, a ginseng. What am I getting? Well, you want to get the root. You don't want to get leaves or or uh, fruit of ginseng, anything like that. So. Every supplement will have on it what is the plant part that you're actually purchasing here. Flowers, mm -hmm. leaves, like ginkgo leaves would be a, a supplement. Um, and, and so with mushrooms, you could get a supplement that is mycelium. You could get a supplement that is mushroom. So it's really important to know that plant part. And that's where the whole life cycle comes in in terms of knowing what we're actually getting. Now, I'm trying to remember exactly what your question was here that led me to to talk about that life cycle but... the, the do's or don'ts of growing a mushroom okay so so that yeah and and the point i was making was that mushrooms if i want to grow mushrooms uh, what i'm using for my spawn is actually live mycelium mm -hmm. so we'll take a culture of that mushroom we will we will uh, then grow it out on sterilized grain or sterilized sawdust and then we'll plant that into our final substrate. So 
you could produce that final substrate at home fairly simply, but what you need is you need that that spawn. And normally, if you're going to grow mushrooms at home, the first thing you do, you'd, you'd uh, buy a bag of spawn from one of these companies that would sell it, and then you would plant that in your, let's say, sterilized straw. Uh, it would grow out in the straw fairly quickly, and then you could, you could ostensibly have a crop of mushrooms in 30 days. Hmm. Okay. And, and, and be, real quick before I forget, um, you know, you kind of took us down this path about, you know, what to look for in supplements, and it matters if it's the root um, you know, yeah. of, of, of ginkgo. Um, when it comes to mushrooms, does it matter? It, does it depend on the type of mushroom that it is in terms of what part you're looking for in that supplement? Well, you know what? The, in traditional Chinese medicine, medicinal mushrooms were, in fact, the mushroom. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's very important. The mushroom actually is a amazing biofactory. It is producing all sorts of active compounds. What, what happens is there are actually companies out there in the U.S. that produce mycelium, and mycelium has beta-glucans in its, in its cell walls. Mycelium, that, that mycelial stage, does produce beta-glucans. Um, however, what happens is a lot of these companies will produce the mycelium on sterilized grain. Now, are you familiar at all with a product called tempeh? Yeah, of course. Love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. tempeh. It's great. Do you know what tempeh is? Isn't it fermented soybean? It is, but do you know what it's ferment- what's fermenting it? I do not. A fungus. Okay. Yeah. So, so what tempeh is, that uh, white growth on those uh, soybeans is actually mycelium. Huh. Yeah. So, so if you're eating tempeh, you've been eating... Uh, fungal mycelium for however long you've been doing it and and that fungal mycelium they grow it out on the soybeans but but you know that if you slice into that you can see there's still a lot of soybeans right. there right so what companies in the US have been doing is they've been growing out mycelium and it could be shiitake or maitake or whatever reishi they'll grow out the mycelium on grain uh, it could be rice or oats or other grain, they'll be growing it out on grain, and then at the end of the process, what they do is they will actually take that fully grown uh, grain cake, and they will dry it, grind it to a powder, but they will not remove the grain part of it. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that when you analyze it, and and what I did um, three years ago is I published a study called Redefining Medicinal Mushrooms, and we we took 40 samples of those grain type mycelium product. We bought them off the internet in bottles and all. We, we analyzed along with that a dried mushroom and also some mushroom extracts. And, and we analyzed them all for beta-glucans and for ergosterol, which is a fungal sterol. And what we found was that all of these mycelium products that were manufactured out the grain they were very low in beta-glucan, which means there wasn't a lot of actual fungal matter in mm-hmm. them, but very high in starch. Gotcha. So, so, so they were, let's just say, on, on average, they were 5% beta-glucan and uh, 30 to 40% starch. A mushroom is actually 25 to 60% beta-glucan, and the amount of starch, there is no starch in a mushroom, but there's some glycogen. The amount of glycogen was about one or two percent so so these 
myceliated grain tempeh-like products were actually the exact opposite of what you should be getting when you want to buy a medicinal mushroom, and and here's the here's the part that's that's difficult, uh, and that is that that these products are being sold as mushroom. So so I sh we should be looking for supplements with the actual mushroom, but it doesn't matter in terms of if it's the cap or the stem. It's probably all just going to be. If, if it's the cap or the stem, you're you're fine. And and here's the thing. I mean. If, if the, there are some companies that are honest enough that if you turn it over for supplements facts, it will say mycelium, and if you look down on the other, which are the other ingredients, mm -hmm. it will say uh, myceliated rice or myceliated gotcha. oats, okay? And, and, you know, the thing is, is that if you were to, to uh, take those capsules and take the powder out of those capsules and taste them, what you would taste is a very bland flower-like taste mm -hmm. which is not a mushroom taste at all in fact one of the easy ways to do that is to if you take a reishi which is bitter and you taste it and those products you'll just taste and be like no bitterness at all there right. and if you taste a real reishi mushroom man ryan i'll tell you you know it it is like <laughs> boom it's like I the psilocybin know. mushrooms yeah well it's it's like got a bitterness to it that's like it's like you feel like you got medicine in your mouth, right? right? It's not anything bland at all. And so I, I just try to, you know what? People need to be educated because you and I can sit here and we can talk about the benefits of, of medicinal mushrooms, right? And somebody goes, oh, damn, that's great. I'm going to go out and get some. And they go out into Whole Foods or one of these stores and they, and they say, okay, what's a good product? And a lot of the people working in those stores, they have... They don't really know. All they know is what that salesperson sure. came in and talked about and, and the product line there. And so they'll point you to that product. And all those products will say, they, will, they won't say reishi mycelium on the front panel. They'll say reishi mushroom. And somebody will look at the label, go, oh, great label, great brand. I'll buy that. And they take it home. And what they're mostly eating is just with that supplement is just grain powder. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you really no well you can look at do they say mycelium do they say something in the other and and also um you can one of the ways you can know if it says made in the usa you know for certain because the the issue really is that you know and and i can tell you this as a mushroom grower i mean i i know the economics of growing mushrooms i can grow mushrooms and put them in the local whole foods and i can make money as a fresh product but mushrooms are 90 percent water mm -hmm. The minute you dry those out, that $5 a pound shiitake that you just got from Whole Foods, you got to get $50 now. Right. So in the supplement market, the economics don't work there. Um, so that's why they're growing out this myceliated grain. I, I look at it and I say, look, just be honest and just call it tempeh. It's, it's a, a, a fungal tempeh using a... a uh, edible mushroom mycelium. That's really what is being sold, but it does not have anywhere near the active compounds that an actual mushroom will have. And that's that's the problem is people think they're getting this medicinal mushroom and they're going to go, oh, yeah, I've got lion's mane and I'm, I'm you know, my memory's just going to go, wow. Mm -hmm. When in fact, no, you're, you're taking grain powder. It's not going to do anything for you. So this is one of those rare times where made in America is not what you want to be looking for. <laughs> yes. And you know what? I, I'm, I support uh, local products mm -hmm. 100%. I, I 
if I can get local veggies in season or, or, you know, if you're lucky enough to be living in a place like California or Florida, wherever they grow a lot of these things, Mm -hmm. well, man, I mean, support your local producers. But this is absolutely a case of actually what I I like to call just a bait and switch. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a, a true mushroom. And traditionally, it's the mushroom that they've used in traditional Chinese medicine. And it's also the mushroom which science has demonstrated and what what we've done with all of our our testing and you know what i i uh i love testing i love taking products into sending it off to the lab and saying okay test it for ergosterol i mean we have to test everything we test for heavy metals mm-hmm. we test for pesticides because we're certified organic um we test for the beta glucans the starches, we have so many tests for our product, but what that has done and what I was doing in my my study, which was redefining medicinal mushrooms, I was saying, look, we've reached a point with this category where you can't just be out there selling a powder and calling it a medicinal mushroom when it's not. There has to be some standards. There has to be something that we can measure that can actually demonstrate that you've got active compounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and along those the same lines as you touched on uh, just a short while ago about supporting local and um, and you know wanting to have the whole mushroom, you know yes. I, I always I always recommend to all my listeners, anybody that I coach, anybody that I talk to, you know hit up farmers markets. I love farmers markets. It's oh. fresh produce. There, there happens to be in Scottsdale here. There's a great farmers market. Uh, it opens I think actually next week for the season. And there's a there's a um, a produce vendor there that kind of specializes in weird stuff. They have things like glacier lettuce and uh, lemon verbena, just weird stuff. And they actually sell big hunks of lion's mane. And wow. you know, number one in Arizona, you don't see that very often at all. Number oh, two, no, no, in Arizona, come on. <laughs> right. I, I I've always been kind of fascinated with lion's mane. Um, ever since I heard, I think it was I heard Joe Rogan talking about it on his po- podcast a while ago. Yeah. Um, and is there a benefit to eating lion's mane whole like that? And if so, how I don't even, I wouldn't even know the first way to go about preparing it or should I just dry it and then eat it that way and take it as a supplement? Well, here's what's really cool about that is that, you know, the thing with herbal products is most studies done to show activity are done either on animals or they're done in test tubes and what we call in vitro testing. Mm-hmm. But there are a couple of studies on lion's mane where they were actual clinical trials with humans. And one of these studies was done in Japan, solid study. It had 30 people, older people um, who were, I, I think, average on average of maybe 70 years old. And they had two groups of 30 people each. One was the control group. One was the group that got lion's mane. And they tested them all at the beginning of the study, a, a battery of different cognitive tests. The group that got lion's mane, they gave them three dried grams of just mushroom powder, Ryan. So three dried grams. You know, you know what three dried grams is? It, it is like one good-sized lion's mane. Right. I, I mean, I mean, because I, it's, it's really interesting. The other day I went, okay. I'm going to go grab one of these mushrooms that I've got here, and I'm going to put it on the scale and see what it weighs. I, I was shocked. It was like, 
it was it was just kind of a mid-sized agaricus and and I, I still like agaricus and I put it on the scale it was 40 grams mm-hmm. and I thought Oh man, forty grams. That's that's four dried grams. So so one lion's mane is going to give you the same amount as what these people in the study took. And and after ninety days, they tested them again, and the group taking lion's mane scored significantly higher than the control group. Now here's the interesting part. The interesting part was that after another thirty days, and and the group that took the lion's mane stopped taking it. After another 30 days, they tested both groups again, and the lion's mane group went back down to the same as the other group, mm. the control group. So, so this was one of the few tests out there that actually was a clinical trial using actual humans. And what that means for you is that, listen, you could buy, let's just say, a half a pound or a quarter of a pound of lion's mane and, and basically be eating one of those every day. You don't need to dry it out or anything. All you really need to do is just uh, uh, chop it up, fry it. The, the compounds in lion's mane are heat resistant, so you can oh. chop it, fry it in whatever way, put it into your diet, and that that would be the first thing you could do. And you could you could see whether that is uh, benefiting. Now, remember that, that, okay, three dried grams, but they're not telling me, okay, these people were, were let's say, uh, 150 pounds or anything like that. So you'd have to go, okay, I'm bigger than that. I'm 200 pounds or whatever. And so I'm going to eat a little more than those three grams. But still, it's not a lot when you think about it. I mean, I'm I'm not kidding you. One of those lion's mane, if it's just even a moderate size, it's probably going to be 40 grams. So mm-hmm. you could be, you know, not only relishing lion's mane, which is really delicious, but you could be getting that value from lion's mane um, right from eating it. Now, one thing I, I would point out is that like when we are manufacturing our products, the mushrooms are dried, we will um, put them through a, a uh, extraction process, maybe 80 degrees Celsius for um, three hours, then we'll concentrate the fluid down, we'll take the whole fluid and the powdered mushroom, we'll send it to a spray dryer, it comes out, it's a fine powder. Like any food or whatever, mm-hmm. the more surface area you have there, the more activity you're gonna get out of it. It's not gonna be something that, you know, you know what it's like chewing things, right? Sure. You don't chew it up to a fine powder. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's like, it's like eating a piece of meat or something like, yeah, how long do you wanna be sitting there chewing that thing up? Sure get to get the perfect digestion right so so you you know having a, a in a powder form might be a way to certainly gather more of the benefits with less you know maybe you'd have to eat eat more to get the same benefits as this powdered lion's mane but geez you're so lucky to have fresh lion's mane in arizona look I know what I, you, there's probably not a commercial mushroom farm in Arizona. All your mushrooms come from California. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I would assume so. I mean, I have no idea how they would even go yeah. about doing that. Yeah. And, and it's interesting here in Scottsdale, you know, I, I lived in Phoenix for uh, five years. And when we first moved down there, it was in, uh, this was to Scottsdale and you, you would not recognize the Scottsdale from the sixties because in our little, uh, development, housing development, we had grapefruit trees on every lot mm-hmm. and down the block there were orange groves everywhere. Sure. It was amazing. 
So, so you touched on this a little while ago with the organic. You said yours are all certified organic. Is there a benefit to organic versus non-organic mushrooms specifically? Well, you know, when I started growing mushrooms in 1973 on the farm I worked on, it was an agaricus farm. We sprayed and sprayed and sprayed. Oh, shit. And I was I was part of it. You know, I mean, that was part of, uh, you know, working there. And, and ultimately, I became production manager. But the, the, the program for growing mushrooms at the time was, OK, at this juncture, you go in there and you spray this chemical at this juncture. You go in and spray this. And now, mm-hmm. remember, these mushrooms are all being grown inside. So you get uh, some disease organiza- organism or you get a an insect in there, oh man, it can get pretty rabbits the crop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so now I I do understand that today there are agaricus mushrooms, for example, that are certified organic, which uh, I think, man, I think that's really fairly important. I mean, there may be some some uh, produce out there that you know the amount of chemicals on them is a little bit less but i'm just a firm believer in in certified organic and and besides if you're getting your stuff from a farmer's market chances are that they're not spending a lot of money on chemicals mm-hmm. to grow vegetables there those are probably as good as anything and don't really need to be certified because the people that are growing them are are probably can't afford and, and a lot of them probably don't want to use uh, chemicals sure and and you know i think it it just goes along with with anything that you put into your body the less chemicals the better Oh, absolutely. And when you figure over the course of a lifetime um, in, in um, any country in the world right now, the amount of chemical residues that we're taking in and, and you know, it depends on your genetics and it t- depends on your immunity and all that. And maybe some people it makes no difference at all. And other people it could affect really in a serious way and shorten your life. And, and who needs that, right? I mean, there's enough things out there that are natural that are shortening our lives. Definitely. Um, so, so I want to get back to the, the mushroom supplements and now yeah. it, you know, it's when I recommend a supplement, it's, it's usually because somebody, you know, either has high cholesterol or, or whatever their, their disorder is, they're looking for some kind of natural remedy for it. Um, so, yeah. you know, things like garlic and red, red yeast rice, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, as, as somebody who's hundred percent plant-based, um, myself included, I obviously have to recommend B12, um, yeah. and, and when I, when I, you know, take a supplement that's not for those reasons, it's kind of just kind of experiment and see if it can kind of, you know, hack my body a little bit, um, sure. which, you know, mushrooms obviously have the potential to do. Yep. Is there, is there a supplement that you would recommend in terms of, you know, a mushroom supplement that somebody should try, um, for one reason or another? Well, you know what? Yeah, I, I would say there's two in particular that I would I would recommend. I mean, you know, everybody now is is uh, if you're into nootropics at all, everybody's mm-hmm. lion's mane, lion's mane, lion's mane. Right. And you know, I understand that, but but look, you're you're about the same age as as one of my sons. You're a young guy. I mean, do you really need memory enhancement? I mean, and and is there so much memory enhancement in, in taking a certain amount of lion's mane that's really gonna, gonna necessarily help you in a major way? You know, not like me, you know. I, right. You know, I can definitely use memory enhancement. Yeah, so, so can my parents. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely Sorry, right. 
So, so I would say look for something that maybe like, like if there's one mushroom that I recommend to people, it's reishi mushroom. Reishi mushroom is is like they call it the mushroom of immortality. Reishi has one of the highest levels of beta glucans, so you've got the immunological part of it. It's got the triterpenes that are working with your liver. I, I say you know incorporate reishi into your supplement regime if you're really looking for one that is super. The other one that uh, people might want to look at is cordyceps. Cordyceps is something that that traditionally has been used for weakness, uh, lack of energy, fatigue. Um, they would give it to people coming out of a long illness that are struggling to get back on their feet. They would give them cordyceps. Um, cordyceps is really interesting because it's called the caterpillar fungus. It grows up in Tibet. It grows on a actually grows, this little fungus grows on a caterpillar, hmm. and, and people harvest it. It's wildcrafted only. They harvest it on their hands and knees. That's the traditional cordyceps, but there was another cordyceps that they used interchangeably called cordyceps militaris, which is a beautiful little mushroom, little cordyceps fungus that today is actually being cultivated, and we are, are selling that, and it is fantastic. The wild cordyceps, believe it or not, had reached a point where it was twenty thousand dollars a dried kilogram. Jesus, I mean, can you imagine twenty thousand dollars and For and a little uh, over two pounds? Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> nobody nobody could afford that, right? I mean, I mean, it was pretty much used by the rich. It was given to people for presents, but. The days of having to pay those prices for that wildcraft and cordyceps are really over because now we're actually cultivating this other species which has all the attributes and actually more, in my opinion, than that wildcrafted cordyceps. So uh, I would recommend cordyceps as something that people might want to look at in terms of, of just overall lack of energy or something like that. Try Try cordyceps out. And again, be very careful because... In in uh, all of these different myceliated grain products that we we uh, analyzed, cordyceps was the worst in terms of high starch, low beta glucan, and that's because the cordyceps mycelium, which they grow out on the grain, is very slow growing, so you don't get much in the way of fungal matter in those particular products. So be aware of that. Uh, but cordyceps and or Reishi are the two I would definitely recommend to people that want to, to add a supplement to their their diet. Okay, I, I've, I've never tried either one of those, so I'm actually going to go out and pick some up. Um, I'll let you know how they are. Um, well, yeah, actually, actually, I'll tell you what, we're, uh, I'll uh, send you a coupon for it, and you can try some of ours. Perfect. What you think, yeah. Now, uh, so let's touch on that a little bit. Do, do you, you know, from what I've read about Namex, um, you guys... Distribute strictly to other businesses, yeah. Well, we do. We do both. We we have um, our our primary business is selling the raw materials to other companies that put it out in their pouches or capsules and bottles or whatever. That's mm -hmm. been uh, the primary business since the beginning. And Namex was started in 1989. But recently, uh, about three years ago, my son, who's Sky, who's part of the business, developed a retail product line that he sells out there on Amazon and on the, the website. And so, and part of the reasons why we, we went that route was because oftentimes when we sell the powders to companies, they will formulate with it. 
they'll add it to this, add it to that. So, so actually getting the pure 100% powder was not always that easy to do out there. So we decided, okay, let's let's just get it out. So we'll have a product line. We'll sell it out on the the net, and then people will be able to get the unblended 100% mushroom extract powders uh, directly from us. But again, it's a it's a retail uh, line on the internet. And how would if they went on Amazon, how would they find what's the company name? The company name is realmushrooms.com. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. And that was that was just sort of a way that we could say, look, we're selling real 100% mushroom extracts. We're not selling, there's no adulterants in it at all. This is the real thing. And and that's really important. And that, you know, right now, that's kind of my message because, you know, we can talk about the benefits, but oftentimes, even even when you get out there with a naturopath or or somebody who's a practitioner, even an herbalist, oftentimes they sort of know what different mushrooms will do, but when it comes to the quality of it, they really don't know because uh, nobody really, not that many people know much about mushrooms and, and fungi. So you talk to uh, companies and you could tell them almost anything. And, and when these companies are out there selling these products and saying, oh yeah, our mushrooms, our mushrooms, our mushrooms, and you're like, wait a minute now. Not, how many companies are actually going to go, oh, yeah, well, you know, you're not really selling mushroom. You're selling something else. It's like not very many. So it's easy to to fool people, and that's why I'm trying my best to educate people about this issue. Mm-hmm. No, I, and that's I appreciate it. It's great. Um, you know, I, I love mushrooms. I recommend them all the time, usually through diet um, because, you know, I'm not – I don't know a ton like you do about um, about the supplements. But I want to I wanna kind of end where we started um, and talk about real quick the you know the the psilocybin mushroom. Um, you know, you mentioned people were kind of walking in fields with their their heads down, uh, <laughs> which is kind of funny how you mentioned that. You know, not not too long ago, I was watching an episode on uh, the Vice Network. I'm not sure if you've heard of a, a TV show called Hamilton's Pharmacopia, where yeah. it's this uh, this young chemist um, specializes in hallucinogenics, and he was somewhere it's in the Midwest, I want to say. Uh, maybe in the south, and there are still people who do that who walk around with their heads down and pick yeah, mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. And I've always wondered if you could kind of give me, um, you know, the Cliff's notes without, you know, um, without without advocating it to any of my listeners because uh, I don't want to be held responsible. But how do you how do you go about telling an edible mushroom from a poisonous one? Because that can get you into some big trouble. Well, you know what? There is no easy way to do that. And and what I tell people going out there, if they're hunting wild mushrooms, I say, look, whatever you do, do not eat anything out there wild mushroom wise, unless you're with an expert or somebody that's very uh, knowledgeable about wild mushrooms and go with them. And, and then here's here's another real key Fine, and the the person comes back with you, and he's got a basket full of really choice edibles, and then you sit down and you just go, "Wow, this tastes good!" And you, and you eat a ton of them, right? Right. Don't do that, right? Because even though it might be a choice edible mushroom, the fact is, is is like a lot of foods, there's going to be five percent of the people out there that might be allergic to it. I mean, I know people that are allergic to morel mushrooms, which are delicious. Yeah. And they're fairly easy to recognize and find. So so the key is, and, and here's the other thing, 
a lot of people might be living in an area where they have uh, mycological societies, mushroom clubs, and these people in season, they are happy to take out newcomers with them when they go out and forage for mushrooms. They'll have field, field trips all during the season. And certainly in our area, every mushroom club, what they do is once a year, they will have a um, uh, basically a, a exhibition where they'll go out, they'll find all sorts of mushrooms, they'll bring them back, they'll, they'll put them out on tables, they'll identify them. If you wanna bring in a mushroom, they'll identify it for you. That's another great way to, to learn about it. And, and certainly what I tell people is, if you go out there looking for these, find one particular mushroom, make sure it's been identified for you, key in on that mushroom and get to know that mm -hmm. mushroom. Then as you, through the years, you can add another one and another. So maybe after a couple of years, you know, two edibles or three edibles, but absolutely never, ever eat a mushroom unless you are 100% sure of what it is, because there are poisonous species out there. And some of the worst poisonous species, actually what happens is you don't even know you're poisoned until eight hours later. Right. And at that point, you're dead. You know, at that point, <laughs> they can't help you. I right. mean, sometimes they can do a liver transplant because it attacks your organs and, with the toxins. And and but even you know, you might be beyond that. I mean, it is it is dangerous. Do not do not eat a mushroom unless you're absolutely certain. Sage advice. Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I, I have so many questions. Um, it's been fascinating. I hope I can have you back on. Uh, in the near future, because there is so much more that I want to talk to you about, including I'm not sure if you've heard of the stoned ape theory. Um, oh, of course, yeah, Terrence McKenna. Yes, I mean, thank I you. I mean, Terrence, you know, you know, Ryan. We had uh, I was part of a, a group back in the late '70s, early '80s, and we did mycological mushroom conferences in the Pacific Northwest. And the fourth one that we did was in I think 1983, and Terrence McKenna was our keynote speaker. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrence uh, and uh, I i know his brother Dennis very, uh, very well. We're really close friends. And, and yeah, the Stone Dape Theory and, and Terrence, his writings are fantastic. Well, we'll have to cover that next time. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So people should should get out and, and check out uh, Namex.com, right? N-A-M-M-E-X.com. Yeah. Uh, and, and look up Real Mushrooms on Amazon. I'm assuming you guys have a website for that as well. Yeah, realmushrooms.com. You can go to the website first, check it out. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's 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 truly been um, fascinating. I don't think there's any other word for it. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. All right. Thanks, Jeff. So there you guys go. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I hope it was interesting to y'all. Uh, as always, questions, comments, concerns, email me, ryan at mainlyplants.com. If you have a question that is burning you about the interview and about mushrooms, let me know. I will get into contact with Jeff and I'll ask him and then share the response on the podcast. And until next week, go eat a salad.